cliffhanger, regardless of the size of Turning Point, regardless of genre, regardless of anything, is always about bringing the audience up into a high point of emotion and then cutting away, stopping, telling them this is the end of this installment before they've had that release. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about an episode of Breaking Bad, Gliding Over All, which is the famous fifth season finale where Hank finds out. Spoilers, obviously. <laughs> you should have led with spoilers. Seriously. I I've, I think I've come. I we, I've realised from how people tell me they don't watch episodes unless they've seen the show. They don't listen to our episodes unless they've seen yeah, the show. Yeah, they don't listen to our stuff until they've seen it. That's fair enough. Yeah, which is smart. Well done. Which also means I can cut down on the synopses. Yeah, very true. Because there's no point. You've seen them, so we don't need to go through. Which is great. So there'll be shorter podcasts, but filled with more learning goodness. <laughs> to the admin. Okay. Um, we are on Twitter at the Story Toolkit. We have a website at the Story. No, that's Twitter again. The Story Toolkit I've got one job. I have one job. If you have, no, you have several jobs. Uh, um, message us. Get in touch. Tell us what to talk about. Um, yeah. Loads of you have been doing it, um, and it's very good. Yeah, it's uh, given us lots of homework. Yeah, this is good because <laughs> a lot of them we haven't seen, but we will. Well, and we shall. Talk. Yeah, I have to get my my. Yeah, I have to get in gear. Yeah, okay, be less lazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Into it. So, Breaking Bad. Uh, the episode we're going to talk about is gliding over all because we're going to talk about cliffhangers. Mm. So, gliding over all is the episode where Hank finds out, and if you all remember the the episode, you know, it's been five seasons. Hank has uh, killed Mike. He's killed Gus. He's killed all the witnesses against him. So there's no case against Heisenberg anymore. He's got so much money that Skylar is spraying the money for silverfish. uh, Because (laughs) they can't launder it fast enough. So uh, she just says, like, how much more money do you need? And Walt realizes that there's no point in, in cooking anymore. That he's he's just he's so far shot past all those goals. There's no point. So he gives up his life of crime. He's won. He's got away with it. Uh, the case against him is gone. It's all done. And uh, and so he's relaxing, having a barbecue with his family. And Hank goes to use the toilet. And while Hank's in the toilet, he picks up a book in the bathroom. And the bath the book is the um, is a Walt Whitman book, and it's signed by Gale who was Hank's first suspect as Heisenberg until he realized that Gale wasn't really Heisenberg because Walt, in a brilliant brilliant moment, kind of tanked Hank's case for him out of his own pride. It was brilliant. Um, so we'll get back to that in a minute. But um, uh, So Hank realizes that Gale knew Walt, and Walt was the chemist Gale was copying from, and that's when he realizes Walt is Heisenberg, and that's and then it's like credits. You got to wait a year for the next episode. Enjoy uh, for the final season to come. Uh, and so that was that's gliding overall. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to tell you how what's you know the secret, as it were, to a great cliffhanger. The secret. Yeah, the secret. So the secret to a great cliffhanger is tune in next week for another episode of Story Toolkit. That's that a cliffhanger. Coming. I didn't see that coming. It's such a, such an obvious joke as well. It's a really obvious joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's really obvious. Thank you, by the way, for not um, synopsizing the entirety of Breaking Bad. So what makes a cliffhanger a cliffhanger? A cliffhanger is uh, when you end an installment at the height of the emotion that the audience is feeling before you release it, right? So when you're doing... I mean, cliffhangers are only for long-form stories. When you're doing a long-form story, what that means is you're telling your story in installments. You're basically, you're doing... So like episode seasons. Yeah. Uh, so like it might be a 40-minute episode, an hour episode, 20-minute episodes. It might be 10 pages in a book, whatever, right? But there comes a point where you tell the audience, you can stop now. It's not the same as an intermission. An intermission is just take a break and come straight back. Mm. You know, that's like an ad break or an intermission in a play. That, that, that's not the same thing. I mean, you may want to generate a cliffhanger for an intermission, but the idea is when someone goes for intermission, they're coming straight back. Okay? They're literally just getting up to use the toilet. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Sometimes I do that in the middle of a movie. Okay, <laughs> just go, man. Just go. <laughs> you don't tell me when to pee, movie. <laughs> that's such. That's such an inside sunny in Philadelphia thing. <laughs> that's so. That's okay. So anyway, so anyway, uh, so when a long form story is being told, it's told in installments, and that is the idea: is you can stop now and come back when you're ready, whenever that's going to be. Okay. Uh, you may binge through it and have a marathon, you may not, but that's the point. So Lord of the Rings, for example, is told in three-hour installments, okay? Three three-hour installments. It could be told in nine one-hour installments, whatever, or one nine-hour installments, but you have a sense of it's time to stop, take a break, come back when you're ready, when you've relaxed, uh, because you can't just, with a long-form story where you're going to run for hours upon hours, you can't demand your audience to just sit there. You have to give them opportunities to stop. If they want to take them, they're there. If they don't want to take them, that's okay. But if you told... Imagine if um, you did Lord of the Rings, but there's never any point to jump off. You'd just be offended. So like, what, this is a nine-hour film? You wouldn't even bother watching it. Do you know what I mean? But if you say, okay, here's the breaks where you can stop, you go, okay, I get it. I can stop at this point if I want to. Same with chapters or whatever in a book. You don't, you know, there's a reason for chapters in a book. It's to tell people when they can put the bookmark in, not halfway through a scene, you know. But basically, with the long-form stories, your audience at some point is going to have to take a break because of the nature of reality, <laughs> Right? It's just it's just how it is. They're going to have to take a break. So you have two options. One option, let them take their break whenever they want to and thus possibly destroy the tension of your work or manage the time effectively so that when they take a break, they're at their most invested and ready to continue, right? 
That's what you do. Mm-hmm. So there's two forms you can end an installment in, basically. One option is you give them a resolution where you bring the audience down, you have something of a curtain call, and you kind of go, and that's that for today. Okay, that's enough now. You can stop now. Okay, uh, there's more to come, but, you know, walk off with your dignity and everything. Okay, the other type is the cliffhanger, where you're like, ooh, like that, and now you're ready to, ha, 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 you're going to come back. You can't help yourself. I've hooked you. You're going to come back like that. And um, the audience is like, well, I can't wait for the next one. But they're able to stop right now. So it's a fun moment to stop. Part of the fun of it is the anticipation for the next thing. Um, you're kind of exploiting the narrative drive of the audience to want to find out the next bit. So you're kind of having fun with them. So th- those are the two options. So with a resolution, you 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 um, you sort of uh, bring it to a close. You bring the audience back down, and you give them a nice sort of curtain call type feeling. Cliffhangers, no. Cliffhangers is whatever the emotions that your audience is feeling from the genres you're employing, they're at their highest point. They're at their most intense. And then you stop just before you would release it. And so in order to make that work, the audience has to know what to expect, right? If they don't know what to expect, they can't anticipate, right? So they have to know what to expect to some extent. Um, they've got to have that moment where there's something that's just about to happen, but hasn't, right? Or it has happened, but they don't exactly know what, whatever. The point is how you cut it, where in the round, the turning point and so on, it is irrelevant. It's more, what are they feeling? When can I stop just before they would relax again? So sometimes that might mean not giving them a piece of information Mm. that they know is there. Sometimes it might mean just before a thing happens. It might mean just after a thing happens. I think it's interesting that emotion is the key here. Yes. That sort of explains all cliffhangers because... If you're watching a crime show, you're intrigued, and so if you ha- if you if you cut at that highest point of intrigue, yeah, that's going to propel you forward to the next right. one. In an action movie, it might be the highest yeah. point of excitement. Yeah, if you look across all kinds of cliffhangers, you'll notice that they cut at different points in terms of story value and turning point and whatever, but they always cut at the same point in terms of emotional intensity. Mm. And how you build the emotional intensity typically is by polarizing everything around one action. So the values and stake are completely at risk and one action will change those values, right? Yeah. And so where you cut is story dependent because sometimes you cut just as the thing happens creates the rush of insight and so then you cut there because the audience is having that rush of insight sometimes you cut when the gap opens right sometimes you cut so where you cut is story dependent based on setup based on this based on that and so on but you're building up to this moment where everything hinges on a single turn and then where around that turn you cut is totally dependent on your work but the point is you cut for a cliffhanger just before the audience would be released. Okay? So you just hold them at that moment. And that's a bit risky. Because if you do that, <laughs> the longer the audience has to wait for the payoff, the more they're going to demand from the payoff. Mm. And so if you do that and you don't have a good payoff, uh, you can really 
sour the audience. And so, um, in fact, we, before we did this, we looked up just online, you know, lists of cliffhangers, just to familiarize ourselves with some examples. And you notice that a lot of them, you're like, wow, that was a great cliffhanger, but it had a terrible payoff. Right. So the cliffhanger was great, but the payoff was terrible. Um, and uh, you don't want that. You want you want to have, if you have a bad payoff to a cliffhanger, your audience will just be, well, they won't trust you. You're done. Mm. So it's a bit risky. But if you have a really good payoff, that's worth the wait. But anyway. Should we tuck into the example? Yeah, so Breaking Bad, Gliding Overall, it's a crime show. And there's there's several emotions at play, but the main one is intrigue, okay? Which is you're wondering how Walt is going to get exposed and how he's either going to get away with his crimes or be punished for his crimes. That detective game, right? Hank is uncovering clues Walt is covering up his clues and you're wondering this cat and mouse game how it's going to play out and so you're looking for clues and you're looking for threads and all this stuff but you're doing this intuitively yeah completely intuitively <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd never quite get over this that whole when you're watching a crime show yeah or, or, or film you never think I wonder how this person will get exposed you just no. sense when it doesn't happen that it's weird and off yeah, like in you, Dexter yeah, in Dexter or a film I saw with Jack Nicholson called The Pledge. You have already ripped that to shreds on the podcast. Yeah, it's just, I, I remember. I remember. It was, it was a film where I watched it and I went back. This is in the days of Blockbuster. I rented it from Blockbuster and I went back to Blockbuster and I went, "This film is terrible. Can I get my money back?" <laughs> um, and uh, it was just I couldn't. It was just so offensive. Um, but it's. But yeah, you're waiting for the because I mean, obviously, a crime story without the exposure of the criminal makes no sense. No, like, why? Why would you tell a crime story in which the criminal is never found? <laughs> uh, like it's 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 not even interesting. If someone commits a crime, the detective looks for clues, doesn't find any. What, what's the story there? Welcome to Zodiac. I liked Zodiac. <laughs> Zodiac, just, the detective doesn't get anywhere, but the journalist does. He's yes, the actual detective. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so the, the, anyway, this is the thing. So you're intrigued, right? Yeah. And you're building it up. So how does Gliding Overall build the intrigue? Well, it, it's had five years, first of all. But fundamentally, what the episode does is if you, you know, I went through that brief synopsis. The episode basically destroys Hank's case. Walt goes and covers up every single clue leading back to him. Every single one. He gets away with it. Right? He gets away with it. He's it, you you're sitting there and you're going, he's not going to get exposed. There's no leads. There's nothing. All the witnesses are dead. All his associates are dead. He's out of the game. Um and Hank has nothing, right? And we're sitting there and we're like, what is the what is the clue? What is the clue that's going to get Hank to pay attention? Like, how how is Hank going to find out? So you're sitting there and you're basically, the, you're really super intrigued, ironically, where nothing is happening. Because the silence is deafening. You, know? mm. you can just tell, like, there's some clue somewhere I'm missing. What is it? So as Hank... Not sorry, as Walt is cleaning up all his clues, you're looking, going, what's the clue he's missed? What's the clue he's missed, right? Which is actually what happens at the beginning of every episode of Columbo, right? <laughs> it's that beginning, you watch the murderer do his plan, it seems perfect, and you're sitting there going, well, what's Columbo going to snatch on, 
right? And then Columbo picks up and goes, ah, I love Columbo, right? So Hank is doing, you're doing, Hank's doing the Columbo game, right? You're just sitting there, I, he's covered it up. He's got, what is it? So you're really, really intrigued as they, remember what I said, you're focusing on everything on one action, right? So they're taking away all the leads. So you're focusing more and more on one lead. And what's more is you know that one lead will inherently turn the whole story. So you see what I mean by the intensity is building and building and polarizing and building, even though nothing is actually happening. But you're like, oh, like that, right? So you're really intrigued. And you get to this point, Hank's won. He's out the game. He's having a barbecue with Hank. Uh, sorry, Walt's won. He's having a barbecue. Hank's there. Marie's there. Skylar's there. They're all there. And you're going, what? what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We know there's another season. We know this is the final season. What's going to happen? And he goes into the toilet and he sits down and he gets the book and our mind flashes back. And we and what is the clue? It's Walt's pride. Because when um, when Hank found Gail's notebook, he was convinced he found Heisenberg. And Walt was so offended that Gail was getting credit for his work there's this great scene where he's sitting down at a dinner table, Walt's drinking. Hank is saying, yeah, I found Heisenberg, and he's dead, and he's making jokes about it. And Walt starts saying, I looked over his notes. He's not Heisenberg. He's like, what do you mean? So well, they look like they're dictation, copying from a real master, a real genius like that. And Skylar is just staring at him like, you fool, you've gotten away with it. Why are you doing this? And he's just, he's basically boasting about himself to Hank, saying how amazing Heisenberg is, while at the same time knowing Hank has no idea he's Heisenberg, right? And Hank is reading the book, and we remember that speech. That's why Hank got convinced Gale wasn't Heisenberg. Gale, he, Hank knows Heisenberg's still out there, but he doesn't know where Heisenberg is, and he's sitting there, and he's looking at that book, and there's that bit they flash back to where it's like, to my to my star my guiding light what ww and then you flash back to when he's reading gail's notebook and he's like hey walt it says ww what does ww mean willie wonka walt whitman walter white you got me right and you just flash back and it's like the pride of walt was that clue this ridiculous pride that walt has that he wouldn't get rid of that book and that hank can put it together he puts together all those, all the tiny little clues of pride that Walt had in their interactions throughout these years. He's finally put them all together. So we were looking and looking and looking for that one thing. We get it. He looks up and then they cut right then and there before Hank's reaction. Mm. We don't know what Hank is going to do. And so now we're f- at the height of our intrigue even more. We've been pushed even further up because now he knows what's he going to do. Is he going to arrest Walt then and there? Is he going to cover up Walt's crimes? What What's he going to do now? That's it. So our intrigue is even higher up because we don't know how Hank's going to react to this. Mm. We just know that Hank knows. See, they could have cut it a bit later. They could have cut it after when he leaves the barbecue and starts throwing up. But that the emotion isn't as high there. By cutting it there where we don't know what Hank's reaction is, we're at the most intrigued. So that's that's why it's, you know so that's just like I so I joked when it happened I said that's an, that cliffhanger should be illegal it was just <laughs> cruel but um, that's that's how cliffhangers work right you build and build and build to that point of peak emotion and then you cut and the important thing to notice about gliding overall as well is that it's the 
penultimate season finale. So the amount of emotion the audience can feel is directly proportionate to how long they've been following the story. And so they've been following the story for five years, and they've been waiting for this scene for five years, right? And so when we finally get the scene, we're at the top of the emotional peak. But if, if this was season one or season two, it would not have had anywhere near this level of uh, emotion. I, I think about, uh, like, with Dexter. Spoilers for Dexter. When um, uh, Deborah finds out, mm. right? When she finds out, finally you go, whoa! Because it's been taking six years to get there. Yeah. Right? So, and it's been interesting, in, uh, more or less, for, while you've been waiting, right? So, the uh, the the way you can think about it is because your do- cliffhangers are a long-form thing, the amount they've had to wait, your audience has had to wait, is the potential for the amount of emotion that they can feel. And the more they've been waiting, the more emotion they can possibly have. And so the higher you can bring it. So with Breaking Bad, they brought it to such a fever pitch that when season uh, six came along, it it just went at a breakneck pace because the audience was just too excited. So the next episode has the Walt-Hank com- uh, confrontation where mm-hmm. Hank tells Walt, I know you're Heisenberg. So that's straight up in there. And by the time, you know, episode after episode, they just pushed it very, very quickly towards the end of that season because they had eight, they had eight episodes and they just weren't waiting around because the audience has waited so long. Um, and so it, it's it, so that's the nature of a cliffhanger as you build... So as I say, those are the two options. You can either do the resolution or you can do the cliffhanger, really. I mean, there's a spectrum there, but fundamentally that's it, right? Uh, compare that to the fourth season... Uh, finale of Breaking Bad I won right where he's won he's beaten Gus they kind of can stop there he's won right Mm. he got away with it that's it you're brought down from the emotion right so when they stop you're like okay take a break I can wait a year now for the next one but with Hank you're like (gasps) right you're right in the middle of it it's very um... there's no release there's <laughs> there's no emotional release, um, but also the questions that we ask ourselves are very important. Yeah, right? as yeah. an audience in that cliffhanger, the audience has to ask itself an interesting question. Yeah, I, d- I know this seems maybe obvious to say, but that um, how will Hank react? How will Hank now expose? What? Yeah, ha- yeah, exactly. Or will he? Or will he? Yeah, he might not. Right. What if Hank tries to cover it up? And then and then we've got the thing of like, now that he's been exposed to Hank, if Hank decides to go forward, how's Walt going to react to that? Yeah. So it's this huge change. I mean, it's a huge turning point. And um, I mean, it's a movement. It's a huge turning point. Um, it drastically changes the forward... Uh, drive of the story, the progression, all those things are very, very important. It's a massive turn, right? But a cliffhanger can happen at just an act break, a scene, a sequence. The size of the turning point is dependent on how much time you've had to build that up, build that up, build that up, right? So the size of the turning point um, is, is also dependent on the amount of time you've had. But a cliffhanger, regardless of the size of turning point, regardless of genre, regardless of anything, 
is always about bringing the audience up into a high point of emotion and then cutting away, stopping, telling them this is the end of this installment before they've had that release. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Hank and gliding over all, you're quite right. You have this whole question that's coming up and so on. And that's because you're intrigued and the question has changed and formed and so on. And so it propels you forward. But that's what's propelling. You can kind of think of it like um, the questions are the bullet and the emotion is the gun, right? The gun propels the question. Sure, sure. As opposed to it is the, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that the questions change, they might become more nuanced, whatever, but it's the emotion of a cliffhanger that pushes those things forward. Um, I, I want to ask a question about the yeah. end, the last episode of Better Call Saul season two, but I'm also conscious of what you said at the beginning hmm. in that somebody won't listen to an episode unless they've listened to yeah. the sh- uh, watched yeah. the show. And so people listening might have watched Breaking Bad, but not seen Saul. Saul. So I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but um, I'm trying to phrase the question in a way that will make it more generic than that. Um, do do all characters in play need to know, need to be in the know um, for it to be a proper cliffhanger? Um, no, that's a really rubbish question. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on because I don't want to talk about Saul. Uh, if I can, fi- uh, if I can think of a way to phrase it, I will ask you. Um, you that makes it more generic. Because we're talking about the tape recorder, right? Isn't yeah, it? is that a cliffhanger? Yeah, I would think so. It's it's a bit it's a bit of both. Um, I was trying to avoid being specific. Well, the thing that. is, I've said it in such a way that if you haven't seen the show, you don't know what I'm talking about. Fair enough. Uh, but if you have seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's kind of it, it's kind of it's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger because when that happens, you're like, oh, like that. Yeah. You're intrigued because you're actually being brought down. The reason it feels a bit different is because up until the reveal of the tape recorder, you've actually been brought down. Your emotions have been released. Oh, I see. And so when they bring tape recorder, it's a sudden uptick of emotion of intrigue, and then it cuts away. Right, so it's a cliffhanger, but it doesn't feel like what we were talking about with Hank because it doesn't have that momentum. Yeah. So it's just a small uptick. It's a great reversal on the turning point and everything, and then it cuts away. So just when you think it's it's almost you remember how I was saying with Hank by constantly going hey he's covering up all his clues and it's somehow building the intrigue. Okay. Yeah. This is not that. This is actually covering up clues. And lessening the intrigue. And yeah. then when that comes in, it pushes it back up again. Which is totally valid. I mean, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's, yeah, but it, that's, why, that, that's why it feels a bit different. And I guess I've, I've asked the question because I sense that it felt different. Well, that's good though. Because because uh, people, a lot of the time, will take things and think it's a formula. Yeah. And it's always good to have m- multiple sort of ways of looking at the same, th- like the same principle to understand how many ways you can apply it. Is this a nice way to segue into the other examples we wanted yeah, to Yeah, let's about? talk about a couple of other examples. Boom. That was seamless. That was like we've been doing this. What I think makes our segue seamless is, that is when them. we actively telegraph that it's a segue. I yeah. think when we do that, it makes it more and more seamless, pointing at the seams. Yeah. You know? is like how you point out it's seamless. Can you see those seams? Let me show them to you. See, you didn't see them. That's how seamless it is. 
If anything, it's too good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you want to do the Star Trek one? We could do this. Well, you brought it up now, so yeah, we might as well do the Star Trek one. <laughs> Disappointed with that. Do you want to do the Star Trek one? No. Let's do the other one. We're all going to do Star Trek now. Let's do no, I didn't know if there was a if there was a, a particular order you wanted to do these in. No. Okay. There so Star Trek, go. Yeah, sure. So Star Trek, what do you want me to talk about Star Trek? Well, I just to highlight, in the way that you did pre-recording. Oh, yeah. The Best of Both Worlds. Audience. We're talking about The Best of Both Worlds, uh, which is a season three finale of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Um, and it's... it's uh, it's pretty much one of the best cliffhangers of all time. Um, but what's so great about it? So Star Trek was an, is an episodic series, which means each episode of it is self-contained, right? It's not uh, a long-form serial like Breaking Bad, which builds and builds over several episodes. Each episode is sort of self-contained. You can watch them in any order that you want, right? So The Best of Both Worlds pretty much has 45 minutes of build-up. Now, there is some setup outside of the episode, which is this. The episode is built around um, the Federation having their first proper contact with the Borg, okay, which is the, the one of their best villains. In Season 2, they encountered a Borg cube when Q messed around and sent them halfway across the galaxy. And they encountered a Borg cube, and the Borg cube almost killed them, and Q saved them at the last moment, Okay. And at the end of the episode, in the resolution scene, Picard realizes that the Borg are now aware of the Federation and the Borg are coming for them. Okay? That was in season two. A little teaser thing, whatever. Never brought up again. So here we are at the end of season three, and the Borg have finally reached Federation space. So there's a bit of a build up here between episodes, but it's not like every episode was about the Borg. It was just something that was. Winter is coming. Not even Winter is Coming, because it was only mentioned once, and it's Star Trek. They could leave it alone for 10 years. They never had to bring it up again. Yeah. But they decided to bring it up again. Uh, interestingly, the only reason they brought in the Borg was because originally the big bad for Next Generation was supposed to be the Ferengi, but they were too funny. <laughs> and they, 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 These guys can't work as a villain, so they had to come up with another villain, and they came up with the Borg. <laughs> um, so that's a great one. Anyway, so the Borg, finally they meet the Borg, and the Borg have shown up, and uh, they, they, you know, they, they do this cat and mouse game with the Borg, and the Borg outclass them at every turn. And um, they finally design a weapon that can destroy the Borg ship. Uh, and Picard is like, okay, get that weapon online and everything. And as they uh, fight with the Borg, the Borg destroy their engines. Sorry, no, that, has, that hasn't happened yet. The Borg uh, kidnap Picard and assimilate him. They turn him into a Borg. Then, after they've turned uh, Picard into Locutus of Borg, um, the Enterprise fights the Borg cube. The Borg cube destroys the Enterprise's engine, so it's trapped where it is. Picard, as the Borg leader now, is going, ha, 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 we've won. And resistance is futile. We're going to assimilate Earth, etc. And Riker tells them to fire the weapon. And that's the cliffhanger, Right. They're going to fire this weapon that should destroy the Borg ship with Picard on it as a as a Borg. And that's the end of the season. So, like, for all you know, they come back and Picard's not in the show anymore, right? You don't know. It's season three. Maybe Picard isn't going to be in it anymore. Maybe Riker's going to be the captain. Um, so it was this huge, great cliffhanger. And, again, it's one of those things where you're at the height of excitement, where just as they say fire... Just as he says fire, it cuts 
So you don't see the shot. You don't see what's going to happen when it hits the cube. You don't see that. It's just fire. He's made the decision to shoot. That's as far as you needed to know. Anything more than that. I mean, they could have cut a little before he says fire. Right? Yeah. But no, no, no. Fire. Well, that yes, drastically changes the question yes. that you leave the audience with, doesn't it? Yeah. It goes from what's Riker going to do? Now he's taken his action. Right. And now it's like, how is this going to turn out? Yes, exactly. That's just some posts <laughs> arriving in case this is the background noise. Yeah. Wonderful. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> I think that could go along with the segues. <laughs> it definitely makes it slicker when we point out. These little kinks. I just it sounded very loud. <laughs> um, what's next? No wait. So your bit? Again. No. Oh my bit again. Yeah. Was it that salient? Okay. Uh, you know, no. It changes the question, doesn't it? Yes. That you ask yourself. It does change the question, and um, yeah, will Riker do it versus what's going to happen now that he's done it? Mm. And by waiting to that point, it's more exciting. I oh man, I just remembered. I read a comic. Here's, here's how, here's how crazy. I read a comic, uh, a Justice League comic years ago, and all the characters wake up and they're all kids. Everyone's kids, right? Uh, Superman, Superboy, Batman's Batboy, right? They're all children. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. Captain Marvel is a boy, and when he says Shazam, he turns into Captain Marvel, who's an adult. And so there's this big question of what will happen if Billy Batson says Shazam? And so they build the issue up and, you know, what's going to happen? And literally they cut as he says, Sha. <laughs> he goes, Sha. And you go, <gasps> and then the next issue opens with him going, Zab. And then what happens as a result of him saying Shazam? And like, that's a ha- that you see what I mean? Like, you build it to the last possible moment anything more like you could build it to him saying shazam and then the next one could be there it's not as cool shut that works because it's such an iconic word yeah exactly so like you can have a cliffhanger halfway into a word (laughs) so it's just one of those things where uh the cliffhanger you're you're just trying to gauge when is it the most exciting moment yeah or the most intriguing moment or whatever that's when you do the cliffhanger. Well, on that note, let's talk about Friends. Yeah. So, as I said, the, w- this isn't genre-specific, and genres work around different emotions. So action is exciting, crime's intriguing, and love stories are longing. You know, you have that longing for love. So Friends, one of the big cliffhangers in Friends is when Ross is getting married to Emily. Yeah. And they having him take his vows. End of season four. Yeah. Having him take his vows... And uh, the priest says, you know, repeat after me. I take the Emily. And Ross goes, I take the Rachel. Right? That's the cliffhanger. And yeah. you go, what? Like that. And so, again, you're at that moment of just like, oh, will they, won't they? Yeah. No, they won't. And I don't want them to. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of Philly for you. Um, <laughs> good help it. But will they, won't they, right? You're at that height of the will they, won't they question. Will they, won't they, will they, won't they? It's, it's, he's literally about to get married to someone else and he says her name. <gasps> well, that's it. It <gasps> takes it right to that point yeah. where he is going to be with somebody yeah. else for the rest of his life. Exactly. And it's, and it's going to effectively sever the yeah. Ross-Rachel storyline. Oh, and not, not only that, but the um, I take the Rachel is the action that changes everything. Remember yeah. I say it's, you build up to that point where one action changes everything, yeah. right? I take the Rachel is the action. That is the turning point. 
done. He said the wrong name, right? That's messed up his wedding. His wedding is done. You know that he might be able to build the relationship back. He might not, but that was the turning point, right? Yeah. Fire is not the turning point. When Riker says fire, that's not the turning point. The turning point is when the laser shoots, hits the cube, and then it goes one way or the other, yeah. right? Either it destroys the cube or it doesn't. That's the turning point. Hank finding out is sort of is the turning point, but part of it. Yeah. It isn't the resolution of the turning point, right? You, there's more to come. It hasn't yeah. finished turning, if that makes sense. It's like in the middle of the turning point almost. Yeah. So it's so it where the turning point happens, what values, all that is totally story dependent. But the emotion is with all these examples is always the same thing. You're at your most intrigued, you're most excited, you're most will they, won't they? Right? <laughs> it's just like will they, won't they, will they, won't they? <gasps> you said Rachel. <laughs> right? It's just, there you go. <laughs> Okay, um, I don't know what the emotion is for the Walking Dead cliffhanger. No, you which haven't ca- seen the Because you Dead mentioned one, we were talking about cliffhangers, yeah. and you mentioned this Walking Dead cliffhanger. I haven't seen Walking Dead yet, and the reason I haven't seen Walking Dead is I was interested in the first season because of Frank Darabont's involvement. Yeah, and then I didn't get the chance to see it. Season two came out, and people didn't like season two, and I'm like, well, They're I won't bother getting into it. And then it suddenly is doing a lot better, and people fall in love with it again. So it's one of those things where I missed. I have to kind of pick up on it, I guess. Um, I would love to do an episode on Walking Dead at some point, uh, yeah, but it would require it. you to. I have to, to get a hold of it. Um, I think I have it. Amazon Prime is the place to watch. Oh, do they have it on Amazon yeah, Prime? Okay, six so I'll have to. Start, I'll have to start doing it on the Stairmaster or something. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so, but the you, first you mentioned this cliffhanger for yes. Walking Dead, and when we went through lists of cliffhangers, it was on almost every single list. The Walking Dead cliffhanger. Yeah, on so one of them I don't as, know. The, as one of them as an example of the worst cliffhanger as well. Yeah, let's not talk about the backwards list, right? <laughs> backwards list. Best cliffhanger. The Flash runs really fast. <laughs> worst cliffhanger. I don't know. Hank finds out. Like whatever. <laughs> anyway, so so talk about. So, I the, I, so that that season six, um, and I'm not giving anything away. Season six. This is season six. Whoa. Season six. Um, uh, it, it, they, they spend the whole season building up this villain that you never meet. Um, Negan. Negan. I know that much. Um, played by the comedian. Played by the comedian. Yeah. What's the comedian's name? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. That's right. And you call yourself a Walking Dead watcher. <laughs> um. So yeah, the the whole of season six builds uh, this character up um, as as. Uh, and you get the sense he's really powerful, and they finally meet him. Um, he captures them in the in the last uh, uh, episode, and there's the, it ends with this now iconic scene where he's holding this baseball bat. He's got all the characters on their knees in front of them, all the main characters, mm. um, and he starts talking about how he's going to kill one of them. Um, and just as he's kind of doing the final bits of his speech, the camera cuts to first person point of view. And he starts doing the eeny, meeny, miny, mo on them. Um, and it cuts this character, this character, this character. Um, and then he finally picks one. And from a first-person point of view, you see a character beaten to death and the show ends. And it's mm. a year's wait, or was a year's wait to the next one. Now, I haven't seen the next one, but yeah. I've had it spoiled for me on Twitter. Oh, I see. Which is excellent. I see. Thank you, Twitter. But that's... But that's a really interesting, another way of showing how interesting these cliffhangers are, right? Because this one, you see the action, you know the resolution, but you don't know to who it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know yeah. who he killed. 
<laughs> so he's killed someone. That's the turning point, but you don't know who. And the nice thing I found about this is through six seasons of Walking Dead, um, uh, in a similar way to Game of Thrones, um, Walking Dead is not afraid to kill characters. No. The only character you know they can't kill is Rick because so he's the protagonist. What's the emotion that you're feeling? Or emotions, I guess. Emotions. Um, there's well, there's life and death because it's action. That's a value. That's not emotion. So I'm sorry. Uh, so excitement. Oh, is it mostly exciting? Um, is there excitement? Uh, there's a bit of excitement there. I mean, there's certainly excitement as they're trying to escape Negan in that final episode. Right. Um, and then that's kind of at that point that's because um, it doesn't sound like it's a mystery thing. No, it's not. No. I mean, is Walking Dead harrowing? Yes. So is it really harrowing, that scene? Like you're seeing someone being beaten to death, but you don't know who? That's probably right. I mean, I don't know. I haven't yeah. seen the show, but it sounds to me like it's not just one thing or another. It's a couple of things. I mean, like... There's a... there's a Yeah, there, there is more than one thing going on. One of the things I always wanted to talk about with Walking Dead was um, image systems. Um, well, we can do that one. We, which we can do another time. But yeah. there is there's definitely something harrowing about it and... Um, People as monsters are a big part of Walking Dead. Right. right. Um, but anyway, yeah, that is, I mean, it's a, just a different example of that. Okay. Of of cliffhanger. Yeah. Particularly, actually, as I, I um, necessarily realised before, that they cut, like, the actions happened. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah, you don't know. To whom. <laughs> to who it happened. Yeah. So you don't know enough to be re- released. Yeah. Right, like it, you just, I, I mean, that's, I guess, a, a, I mean, it's obviously a point to a cliffhanger, which is you don't know something, you don't know the resolution of it in some way, right? Because mm. that's the whole point. Cliffhanger is you don't know what the resolution is. Mm. So what is it that they don't know? <laughs> like, so you don't know how it's going to turn out, whatever. But in this case, it's like you actually do know how it turned out. You just don't know who it happened. So there's it something cha- that's been- yeah, it dra- again, it drastically changes the question. It's not like what the hell is Hank going to do next? Yeah. Is he going to cover up? Yeah. Is he going to uncover yeah. um, and expose? This is like, no, who did Negan kill? Yeah. And that's a very, very specific Because they question. could have done it another way. They could have done it, he's about to kill someone and they cut away and you know who he's about to kill and then you go, did that person die? Did that person not? die, yeah. Um, but this way it's like, you know he's killed someone but you don't know who. Yeah. Which is sort of a very interesting way to propel the story forward. Yeah. Which, because I haven't seen Walking Dead I can't say exactly how that plays into the show no and I don't know what the resolution is like because we haven't gotten we, we haven't see. started on season 7 yet let's see, let's see. Um, okay so let's talk about the flip side then and the danger of cliffhangers this seems like yeah. a good moment this is another good segue <laughs> yeah yeah it is <laughs> so anyway uh <laughs> So yeah, the 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 pro as I mentioned earlier, the problem with the cliffhanger is um, you have to pay it off. <laughs> it's got to be a good. You got to pay payment. it off. Uh, there's actually thing that there's no shortage of shows that end on cliffhangers and never got resolved because they got cancelled. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, Odyssey Five was one. What's Odyssey fun? You you don't know it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's so hipstery. Th- there are there are some shows where oh, Odyssey uh, Five. You've probably never heard of it. You haven't. You just haven't trust me on this. You haven't. Uh, there are shows where they ended on cliffhangers and then <laughs> that was it. Uh, the Prisoner. 
it's kind of a cliffhanger. Like, wait, what does that mean? It's pre- it's over. The, that, that's <laughs> not a cliffhanger. No, it's not. You know the you know the story behind the f- yeah. finale. Yeah, that's just yeah. That's that's um, Patrick McGowan put, sticking two fingers up to the studio. I don't want you guys to know anything. <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, there are. Sh- I, I'm trying to actually. I'm drawing a blank now. But there are shows that got cancelled with cliffhangers, yeah. right? Like they had a cliffhanger and it just stops. You like it got cancelled. Wait, what? We're never gonna find out. My name is Earl. Uh, did I watch the end? My name I is Earl. I watched to the end. Yeah, that that got that got cliffhangered out. Really? Yeah, that that ended on a cliffhanger. Like, wait, what? <laughs> just like the shows where they had the cliffhanger. And it's like, yeah, that no, you're cancelled. See you later. <laughs> Um, okay, so you need a good payoff. So, so, but the thing about those shows, in a weird way, is at first they have this sort of wonderful mystique because that height of emotion is preserved for all time. <laughs> but at the same time, you're only kind of excited or intrigued because you know the payoff is coming. And when you know the payoff is never coming, it's hard to, it's hard to have that emotion <laughs> because you're just like, yeah, it's never coming. So, uh, feel nothing. It just eventually dies. Like, just withers and dies. Um, But there are some times where they do a cliffhanger and then they come back and they go, yeah, the resolution's rubbish. And you go, wait, what? And you never forgive them. Um, And uh, one of them, for example, is um, the famous one, The Simpsons. Who shot Mr. Burns? Mm. They built up this great episode, Who shot Mr. Burns? Mr. Burns gets shot. You go, who done it? And they even have fun with that. Like, I can't possibly solve this mystery. Can you? Mm. And they point at the screen. Dr. Hibbert points at the screen. And then it pulls back. And he's not pointing at the screen. He's pointing at Chief Wiggin. And he goes, well, I'm, I am. Yeah, sure, I guess. It's my job. <laughs> um, and they and when they came back, they did a whole, like, bizarre episode that wasn't animated. It was like a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. guy standing in front of a screen, like one of those Crime Watch stories. Uh, but with actors, real people. Um and they're going through all the clues. And you're like, okay, fine. And then they finally did the, the resolution. And it was kind of interesting and kind of cool until they revealed who done it and how it happened. And for those of you... Uh, it's spoilers for Simpsons, I guess. But uh, <laughs> they've made jokes about this in The Simpsons. Then everyone found out it was the baby. That's actually a joke they do in one of the Simpsons. Oh, really? Yeah. Troy McClure, they're doing their 138th episode spectacular. And Troy's like, oh, and then there was the whole nation asked, who shot Mr. Burns? Then they found out it was the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a silence and then a cough. And they they even had this whole thing about how they animated different episode uh, endings for the episode to hide who done it and all that stuff. And then it turns out Maggie shot him by accident. And it's just not satisfying. It's not It's not a satisfying mystery. Mm. It's just like that's not a satisfying shooting. Uh, and so as a result, the Who Shot Mr. Burns thing, it's got this great first half with a great cliffhanger where you're really intrigued to know who done it. And then the second half is like, there's some really funny gags in here. It's actually a very funny episode. But fundamentally, Maggie did it is not very interesting. Um, and... In fact, in the 138th episode Spectacular, they do mock it quite a bit because he goes, um, that ending only makes sense if you ignore all the Simpson DNA evidence and, and all that stuff. Like, There's there's another episode where um, Homer goes, uh, where, where Lisa points out Maggie shot Mr. Burns, and so Mr. Burns won't want to see Maggie. And he goes, really? I thought Smithers did it. That would have made a lot more sense. <laughs> like, 
That kind of thing. So they do mock it quite a bit because it just wasn't a satisfying resolution. Yeah. Because Maggie did it. It's not a great one. Um, just it's not wasn't great. No. And you want to uh, you wanted to talk briefly about Red Dwarf? Oh, rare Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. I love this show. The British sci-fi show. Um, I remember season was it... six back in nineteen ninety seven or ninety six something like that. Was it with you? I was with. We had to try and explain Red Dwarf to an American. Was it Bob? Mr. McKee. Did we try and explain Red Dwarf to him? I remember having to try and explain Red Dwarf to, to an American because it hadn't occurred to me that it didn't cross the Atlantic. But actually, it's quite, it's very British in niche, really. I don't remember. Why were we explaining Red Dwarf to somebody? I forget why. I forget why. This is a bizarre thing that may not have happened. Perhaps you dreamt it, sir. <laughs> uh, Maggie did it. Okay. Skittlebrow. Um, so... Red Dwarf is a Amer- it was a British sci-fi sitcom, and it was basically heralded as like Steptoe's son in space. I think was the, was the bizarre <laughs> thing, to it, right? Anyway, so the basic premise of the show—it's very very funny, by the way—for the first six series, if nothing else—is um, uh, there's a mining ship uh, called Red Dwarf, just goes around mining, and one of the um, characters, Lister, is put into stasis because he smuggled a cat on board. And that violates quarantine. So he's put in stasis for the next 18 months and no pay or anything. When he comes out of stasis, um, it hasn't been 18 months. It's been 3 million years. Uh, Radiation leak wiped out the entire crew of Red Dwarf. Uh, Red Dwarf is lost in space. Um, Everyone on the ship is dead. The radiation has dropped down so that it's safe now for him to come out. And so as a result, Lister's trapped on the ship with a hologram of his dead bunkmate, who he hated, Rimmer, an android called Crichton, and a guy called Cat, which is an alien that has evolved from the cat that was on the ship that he smuggled on because the cat was pregnant. So they've evolved over three million years. They look human. So that's the cast, right? And it's very funny. It's very silly. Um, And they built this great cliffhanger in season six where they encounter their future selves. And the the episode ends with the future selves killing them. And you're like, what? To be continued. And it's the only cliffhanger in the show's history. They've never done a cliffhanger before. You're like, to be continued. And to this day, when I watch that episode, it goes, to be continued. There's this sense of mystery and awe of like, <laughs> how does this get resolved? Okay. And... Uh, the show pretty much got cancelled and four years later they came back in season seven and it opened with with Lister explaining to a camera what happened and it's resolved in a minute they just go yeah so the future selves tried to kill us and as a result they killed themselves and so they didn't exist and so they weren't there to kill us in the first place and that's they it get out of it with a paradox yeah with a paradox here's the thing they actually filmed that scene originally back in 1997 that was the resolution to it it's a deleted scene it's on the dvd you can see the full deleted scene but they cut it in in favor of a cliffhanger right and they if they even say it bit us in the ass because four years (laughs) later we came back and we're like oh it's been four years we have to explain what happened and it's not that great a resolution anyway so uh and so red dwarf never has never really recovered from it um, he said the new season's supposed to be quite good. You know what's funny? Like last year or something, I came up with a fix. I came up with how they can get out of that. Out of the future selves thing. I came up with it. It's ridiculous. 
Go on. You have to bear in mind this was 1997. <laughs> okay. There's another British sci-fi show that was not on the air at the time. Doctor Who. <laughs> Paul, in my head, Paul McGann comes back and fixes the time travel problem for them, but he's so annoyed by the group of the Red Dwarf, he leaves them in disgust. It's a comic relief special. They never oh, did see. a Doctor Who Red Dwarf comic relief thing. And that would have been the perfect time to do it. It's time travel. They own both of them. I mean, Red Dwarf isn't owned by the BBC anymore. They were just gearing up to bring Paul McGann as the Doctor. Like, it would have been a perfect moment to bridge those two shows together. If, if not Paul McGann as Doctor, then some sort of Doctor Who parody would have been enough. <laughs> and I'm like, this would have been the perfect Red Dwarf Doctor Who crossover episode. You know, the funny thing is... I'm so right. The funny thing... I, yeah, I need a time machine right. to go back and do this. You're yeah, always right. There are, there are reasons to have a time machine. This is one of them. <laughs> um, It's funny because the cliffhanger and the subsequent four-year wait for a payoff destroys it. But actually, the paradox being the resolution to that within the episode works it works really and well. it's funny but that that's the kind of thing that yeah. red dwarf did all the time they mocked those kind of cheap sci-fi yeah. conventions it does work but um it's it's almost too cerebral to get a good laugh out of yeah um and also the other problem with it is that the scene where the future selves are killing them is actually really serious it's not funny mm. it's really serious uh, it's, it got it gets to that point where we're like wow we've never seen Red Dwarf do this we've never seen Red Dwarf go proper drama uh, I mean Rimmer plays the hero Rimmer's the one who works out how to stop the future selves mm. and because uh, they have a time machine so he he realizes if he go after Crichton's died Lister's died Cat's died he rushes down to destroy the time machine because if he destroys the time machine he realizes the future selves can't exist to kill them. So he goes down to create the paradox. That's how he can stop what's happening, right? They actually had another setup to get out of it. Uh, because to find the time machine, they had to go through these pockets of unreality where it made people think things that aren't true. So there's loads of funny gags where they think Lister's a robot or Cat is invisible and no one remembers Cat. And Cat's there. He's like, and he starts shaking Lister. And Lister's like, we're getting some buffeting. And like, he's just shaking. He's like, I'm here. Can't you see me? Like, that's really funny. So they could have said the whole thing was an unreality pocket, which is a kind of like saying it's all a dream, uh, which wouldn't have been that satisfying. But they, Rimmer has a big damn hero moment. And it was really exciting. It's really cool. It's hard to get a laugh out of it. And the paradox thing is okay, but... It, it works fine, but it's just this weird thing where they created a cliffhanger for no real reason. We had to wait four years for the resolution, mm. and the resolution was sort of a, a, a minute speech of explaining the, the temporal mechanics of how they got out of it. And you're like, wait, what? This is this was what we waited four years for? Mm. Um, and so it was really, really unsatisfying. So unsatisfying that in my head it didn't happen. And the Red Dwarf is still on a cliffhanger for season six and never really came back. Let's talk about practicalities. Okay. <laughs> what does this that is, mean? What it, what it means is, um, this is, <laughs> what do we take for our own writing? Oh. Well, if you have if a you... six-season <laughs> Emmy Award-winning show and you want to end on a cliffhanger, this is how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. yeah, our Top Gear. Our Top Gear advice. Um, this week, 
Luke talks about walking. That's a terrible Jeremy Clarkson. I'm not going to do is. it anymore. That is. Um, yeah, what what the hell do we learn from this? Thing? Well, the whole point of this is why do you do a cliffhanger? And you do a cliffhanger to really get people to come back for the next installment, right? So when you do an installment, when you do a series of installments, when, when you say, here's the end of the installment, you're basically telling the audience, you can stop now and the next bit's coming. Okay, which is why typically uh, it, uh, the, a book or a season will end on a cliffhanger as opposed to just a random episode, right? But sometimes even that, if you're doing a weekly episode, you know, Adam West's Batman, right? <laughs> Used to end, same bad time, same bad channel, right? Ended on a cliffhanger every week. One week, cliffhanger. Next week, resolution of cliffhanger, Right? Next week, they start a new story, cliffhanger, like that. So the point of a cliffhanger is to build the audience's interests and emotional interests so high that while you take a break, they're so invested they can't wait to come back. That's the point of a cliffhanger, basically, right? And also, the fun of a cliffhanger as well is you're taking advantage of the fact that the audience has to stop at some point because your story's too long. They have to take a break. And so as a result, because they have to take a break, either because of the nature of the medium, such as television, right, or because of the amount of time they've spent reading your work, they have to at some point take a break. You stop it in such a way that they are absolutely primed to come back, right? That they won't just put down the work and forget about it, and therefore all your hard effort in momentum building and world building is forgotten, right? that all your setups aren't forgotten all this stuff it's so vivid in their mind that they're ready to come back and when they come back it's as if they never left that's the fun of a cliffhanger right it's like no matter how much of a break between the cliffhanger and the resolution it's as if there was no break at all whereas a resolution it's like the break is there for you for as long as you want it come back when you're ready right so there's those are the two ways and it's just a matter of what you feel like doing um and as we pointed out it can be done for any genre um, and all you have to do is you have to make sure that the payoff is good. And so sometimes it's it's not a great time to have a cliffhanger. Your story just doesn't want to work towards a cliffhanger, but you have to work towards ending the installment, so you do a resolution. And sometimes you're building and you're building to something, and the end of the installment's on its way, and you don't want to just stop. You don't want to resolve something now, so you turn it into a cliffhanger to propel them through the next one, Right? Those are sort of the two options that you have. So it's just a question. You're writing a, some sort of long-form serial, right? You you have to pay attention to the fact of how long you've had your audience sit down reading or watching your work. And at some point, you've got to tell them you can stop now. And so when you do that, you have two options. You either can bring them down or bring them up, right? Depending on where your story's at. You don't want to f- manufacture a fake cliffhanger. You don't want to resolve stuff so that there's no desire to come back. And this is true for like even a play where you're doing an intermission, right? Where do you put the intermission? Well, the difference with an intermission is you know they're coming straight back. It's just a toilet break. But so you don't really need a cliffhanger in the same way or to the same extent. But for this, you you know, it's just it's just a matter of choice and feel and what seems appropriate how do we end this episode on a cliffhanger I, I don't think we should because we did the cliffhanger earlier remember okay can we just tell them they can stop listening now 
Yeah. Okay. You can stop listening now.